Hi, everyone. Welcome to the June 11th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dom Kazuti. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, we're partial to fish for our opening soundtrack, and that has been the way since the late 90s. But for this particular episode, we probably should have gone with peaches and herb because finally, for the first time on a Friday since last March, we are reunited all at the table. No one is on Skype. Everyone is here right here at the table. And I cannot tell you how personally excited I am to see everybody. As we've said, as everyone's walked in, see everybody in three dimensions. So, well, you don't get the, the, the opportunity for three dimensions here. I do, and it's, it's a wonderful feeling. So it's going to be a great program, and thank you so much for joining us. After months of high-stakes debates, the 2021 Colorado legislative session has come to an end with significant changes ahead for Colorado. Highlights included the new $5.3 billion, billion transportation bill based on new fees, a highly amended greenhouse gas bill, and a law in which first responders can only administer ketamine after getting the permission from the EMS director, a bill inspired by the controversial death of Elijah McLean. Patty Calhoun for Westward, a whole lot to cover here. We'll eventually talk about the legislature in a couple rounds here. But uh, what are some of the things that stood out to you now as this 2021 session is now in the books? Well, let me take the Elijah McClain response. It's great that the legislature took this action, but it would be nicer if we got the results of the other investigations into his death, if we knew any about anything about that, and if anyone had ever been punished for what happened to Elijah McClain. So unlike the legislative session, which is over, the Elijah McClain case is not. It's great to see Marianne here alive because, wow, this what a pace the last few days of the legislature. It was incredible. I'm sure we'll hear from David about how it was illegal anyway for them to go on this long under Rule 44, but... I have to say one of the great things about the pandemic is you could watch so many of those hearings virtually that people had an opportunity to watch the sausage be made. They couldn't smell it, but it wasn't pretty. Some of these deals, like that greenhouse gas climate compromise, I still haven't figured that out yet. I think the transportation bill will be full employment for journalists who know economics and can follow the money because $5.3 billion, that's a huge amount of transportation projects to follow, not to mention all the controversies over these fees people are going to be paying as gas prices keep going up and up and up. So I would say it was an amazingly strange legislative session. I think we got a lot of accomplishments. It's really not done in some ways because we still have to figure out how to spend over $300 million in federal funds. So legislators are going to be talking about that through, this, through the summer. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, your colleague John Caldera with his newsletter this week called this session the worst he's ever seen. Uh, what do you think? Well, they worked as hard as possible to uh, vindicate the saying that no man's life or property are safe while the legislature's in session. And that, that's literally true for lives because they've made, uh, taken deliberate action to make mass shootings and hate crimes uh, more common in, in Colorado. Their response to the, the murders of King Supers was to lash out at one of the most law-abiding and peaceful populations in Colorado, people with concealed carry permits. Based on arrest rates, people with concealed carry permits are about 50 times more law-abiding than the general population. And so the legislature uh, attacks them at the uh, behest of Mayor Michael Hancock and his lobbyists to allow local governments uh, to severely restrict concealed carry, uh, not only in buildings, but in whatever undefined areas, to allow Colorado's over 3,000 uh, special districts uh, to do the same. According to a Washington Post fact check in 2018, 
for mass shootings that take place outside of a residence, 86% take place in areas where light, where licensed carry is banned. Denver and a lot of places, other places in Colorado, are going to become more like New York City and Paris, where citizens are left defenseless outside the home. And as a result, uh, Jews and Asians are attacked there with impunity. And now that's going to be green-lighted in Colorado, too. Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist and uh, our relative optimist here at the table. So it's, uh, we, we have a lot of different voices here available. Uh, Natasha, as you look at this session, a whole lot of uh, headlines came out of it. The, the, that enormous transportation bill was just one of many things on a broad pro- progressive agenda. Uh, what stood out to you? What do you think will all of us be talking about in the months ahead? Well, that's what I was going to ask is, is it too early to think ahead, to think about what's going to happen next year? And I think the first place to start with that is to look at the cutting room floor. Um, I think that happens in any session. You look at what was amended, what was changed, what nearly got through a committee but didn't quite. Some of those negotiations start happening very early on. So while I would encourage everyone to take a little bit of break this summer, I'm sure there's some people who are already getting to work. Um, in particular, I think there are some ideas in the transportation um, bill that might come back. Um, and and in, in the final moments here, some of the conversations about criminal justice reform, especially relating to arrests and and. Bonds and, and how that impacts our jail population. That conversation feels unfinished. So I would be shocked if that doesn't come back in some form next year. Marianne Goodland, Chief State House Reporter at, uh, at Colorado Politics. And I will share this with our audience. I didn't know this until we chatted right before the show, but the reporter who has the longest tenure at the Capitol, if you're looking for someone who knows the most institutional knowledge, we have the great opportunity to have her right at this table, literally at the table, which we have not been able to say for a long time. Marianne, you, you covered the whole thing. You saw all the wackiness that happened. What do we need to know about what happened? Uh, first of all, I'm the longest female reporter. There's been guys who've been down there longer, but I'm the longest female reporter. What we saw in bills like transportation and the Colorado It's Not a Public Option bill are measures passed in a, a non-election year that don't go into effect until the next non-election year or sometimes later. And Republicans are eager to point out that this was deliberate. These bills don't go into effect until after November of 2022. So you're not going to know exactly whether they worked out, whether you're going to get cheaper health insurance, or whether your roads and bridges and your asphalt's going to get fixed. This was the Democrats' dream legislative session. They got almost everything that was on their Christmas list. But given that these things don't go into it, so many of these major bills don't go into effect until later, it's sort of unknown whether what you've got under the Christmas tree is a gift or coal in your stocking. On the good side, they did get... Uh, about $800 million in one-time-only money uh, through these uh, co- the Colorado stimulus uh, package, the Colorado recovery plan was what the governor called it. And that's going to continue to help people navigate through the economic impacts of the recession uh, and the pandemic recession in, on areas such as affordable housing and child care and small businesses. Um, the, one, the biggest turkey to me of the session was a bill to increase teacher salaries. As you know, that's not the purview of the legislature, that's a purview of school districts. But they passed a bill anyway to help school districts with improving teacher pay. And guess how much money they put into it? Zero. So this is, this is just PR fluff as, as far as I was concerned. Biggest turkey of the year. I think we've just invented a great uh, special episode of Colorado Inside Out, although we'll probably need a few hours for it. But uh, well, well done, Marianne.
A divided Colorado House GOP came to an agreement to retain State House Minority Leader uh, Hugh McKean in his role. 15 of 23 representatives voted against a vote of no confidence. Those voting no confidence claim McKean had lacked leadership through the legislative session. Those opposed to the vote say McKean did an adequate job uh, compromising with the Democrats despite significant challenges. David, I guess I, I wasn't surprised to see frustrated lawmakers right after this kind of a session, as we've been talking about, of Democrats run, run the score up on you. Know, I could see House GOP folks being upset. I was a little surprised to see how much the dirty laundry was aired in public. <laughs> you usually do this behind closed doors, not with so many cameras available. Uh, now that we see it at least settle a little bit, uh, what is your takeaway from the events we saw? Well, our open meetings law means when the Republican caucus assembles, the press has to be notified and, and there. Um, McCain made a, mis- a careless error uh, when he was voting on a bill that, that passed, which says if you were ever arrested for a crime and there's no record of a conviction, you can be pro- you'll be prohibited for the rest of your life from ever uh, uh, purchasing a firearm, kind of... Uh, shows the lie about the Democrats who claim they're for criminal justice reform to lose your fundamental rights based on an arrest, not a conviction. And he intended to vote against it. He was looking at his computer, voted the wrong way, immediately noticed his error. The Democratic leadership wouldn't let it, let it be corrected. So Dudley Brown of Rocky Mountain Gun Owners turns around and starts sending out this email uh, saying no confidence in him, not explaining that it was, it was a careless error, and that was a serious mistake on his part, but that it was unintentional. And likewise, mischaracterizing his vote on, on another uh, gun bill, the Colorado State Shooting Association, which is actually a real pro-gun lobby that has actually passed legislation in Colorado, unlike Dudley Brown, who over three decades hasn't gotten a single bill through the legislature. They came uh, to his defense, and I think the caucus reasonably uh, said, everybody makes mistakes, don't do that again, but that wasn't uh, an intentional uh, misdeed. Natasha, there's a lot of political intrigue here, but I did think it was, uh, you know, whether he, you know, I'm going to assume that he planned it, but a masterstroke by uh, McKean by saying, okay, do the vote now. Everyone's right here. Make the vote. Stand up and let me know what's going on. And uh, there was a lot of hustle and bustle, but in the end, he, he came away with it. Uh, what did you take away from the events that we saw? Well, I think that's a really great point. It's, it's take, a, take a stock of the moment, and before we have all this time off and people spend their time speculating and thinking and, and figuring out what the next steps are, let's just agree that we're all on the same page here. Um, what, what's interesting for me is that this is, is truly a Colorado issue, but it's also a reflection of turmoil that's happening on a national level in the GOP, and we're just seeing it play out in, within the state itself. I think, you know, it's good to, to sort of lay the groundwork of where are we at right now, but that's what the GOP really has to spend the next few months figuring out is what, what are we doing here? What works in Colorado for voters? Um, and, and I think that they had some small successes during this session, which where they didn't have a lot of power or control to be able to do that, but in particular looking at fiscal um, issues. So it, the question for me is now, will the Republican Party in Colorado really double down on those those moments and code Colorado voters with the things that they've been known for in the past, giving them control of their taxes, giving them visibility that they want in the government, being a watchdog of a mainly Democratic controlled um, state. Uh, Will the GOP really be able to capture that and gain some momentum? Um, This might have been the start of, of building some groundwork for that to happen, but there's still a lot of division. 
uh, Marianne, we talked about all the reporters having access to this. You're one of them. You know the story, and you know how, it's, how it has evolved. What do we need to know? Uh, for one, Hugh McKean won a two-thirds vote of support from his caucus. He also got a strong endorsement um, from Christy Burton Brown, the chair of the state GOP, in a statement that she issued yesterday that had 15 of the 16 lawmakers who voted to back McKean uh, included in that statement. And it was ostensibly about the Second Amendment, but I, you read between the lines. This was a very clearly a statement of support of Hugh McKean. The other thing that you need to kind of watch out for is, does Rocky Mountain gun owners still continue to have the influence that they have enjoyed within the Republican caucus? That vote on Tuesday says to me, no. And in talking to some Republican operatives since the vote, there's this hope that they will kind of take their, their chips and f fade away a little bit. Um, but you still have that segment of the caucus that's led by people like Dave Williams and Patrick Neville and Ron Hanks, who actually advanced uh, the, the no-confidence vote, who are going to likely continue to try and undermine the leadership in the House GOP. And that doesn't help the GOP going into an election year. Patty, do we see a microcosm of what the Colorado GOP is facing this year? Yes, you do. I mean, you first of all, who wants to be a GOP leader right now if you have some of these other people you have to deal with? It is a party in a lot of trouble if they're going to win back more Coloradans. And there's certainly plenty of unaffiliated Coloradans, so a good candidate in either party can sway things with the unaffiliated bloc. But the no-confidence vote, I have to say, let's give a no-common-sense vote to Ron Hanks, who was at the Capitol on January 6th, and after the legislature was done here, decided to go down to Arizona and help with the really important investigation of voting down there. <laughs> well, as the session ended, another conflict amongst lawmakers revolved around property taxes. Legislators passed a bill that would lower property tax rates for apartments, single-family homes, agriculture, and renewable energy projects for two years. Michael Fields of Colorado Rising State Action expressed his concern over the bill, saying this was an effort to kneecap their initiative to lower property taxes across the board. Uh, Natasha, property taxes are big, a big deal in Colorado, especially since so many parts of the state are enjoying um, great values for their property, but seeing the taxes rise. And uh, Coloradans know that we can vote on taxes, so we love voting on that, whether it's going to increase or decrease. Uh, this seems uh, like some really uh, inside politics baseball here, but um, what did you think? It's exactly that. And people who love insidery politics are going to love how this, this played out. Um, I think it's an interesting thing because sometimes you, you hear about the end of the session and a, something goes through or something happens and you're like, okay, that, that's a finish. Like, I know what's happening with that. For this, I just have so many questions about how it's going to play out. And depending on what side of the political battlefield you are on, you're going to have different sort of questions. So in particular with this two-year limit, um, how is that going to appeal and what do we do two years down the road. Um, as for the initiative and sort of the maneuvering around and not giving this to voters, uh, there were some concerns raised about applying something on a universal level to all of Colorado. This is something we deal with constantly, is how do we find that balance between our metro areas and our rural environments? And when you're making um, large deductions or increases in taxes, what impact does that have? Does that play out differently in a rural community than it does on a Denver street? And um, all of those things. I, I want to learn more about, so I'm certainly hoping that there are going to be plenty more stories in the coming months to sort through this all.
Uh, Marianne, again, I know we keep going to the fact that you were there as all this sausage was being made, but this was particularly intriguing because it's something that affects a whole lot of people across Colorado, and it's already trying to affect a, a, uh, an election later this year. Uh, what's, what are some of the details? Uh, the, bill, the bill itself does a temporary tax cut, um, and, and it's really a reduction in the assessment rates on the uh, types of property that you, that you talked about earlier. Now, you look at Initiative 27, its atten- intention is a permanent tax uh, a reduction in the assessment rates on all property of all types, whether residential or commercial. What the bill does, and the fiscal note admits this, and Michael Fields isn't wrong about this, the, the bill changes the statutes that Initiative 27 intends to go after to limit its impact. And the sponsors of the bill, when asked if this was an end run around, around 27, um, this was Chris Hansen, a Democratic uh, senator from Denver, and Bob Rankin, who's a Republican from Carbondale. And they said that they, were, they always knew that this day was coming once voters approved the repeal of Gallagher, which happened in our, our last election cycle. And they just didn't expect it to happen this fast, and they needed to put together something relatively rapidly. Talk about rapid. This was introduced uh, less than a week before the session was over with and rushed through the process. And to Natasha's point, yeah, we really don't know enough about what's in it. And when you rush through a bill that has a major impact with six days left to go in the session, it doesn't give the public time to properly vet the legislation, and it doesn't really give lawmakers proper time to vet the legislation. And I think that that strikes a, a... ugly blow and one that we see year after year after year against governmental transparency. Patty, I'm no expert in this. I can barely play checkers, not even chess, but you can kind of see the three-dimensional chess here because there's a law on the books that makes it harder to pass an amendment in Colorado, so you need a little bit more time to get the money raised, but because Michael Fields and other folks had to talk about that while the session is still going, but was extended this year because of the pandemic, they had, there was time to address that where this may not have come up. Maybe this initiative whole process comes up after the session in a regular year, uh, it's, it's way over my head, but as you're looking at this, it's, it's clearly a story we'll be talking about for a while. Well, and let's remember the people who are watching the chess game are also opening their bills at home and are very upset about how much property taxes have gone up. And however they interpreted the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment, I don't think anybody expected to see their own taxes go up so much because it was always billed that their property taxes wouldn't, they would stay the same. Of course, no one uh, realized how much their property would go up, too. So you can hear Dennis Gallagher laughing through all of this. I mean, unintended consequences of the passage of that measure. And now what we're going to hear, see are lawsuit threats. We're going to see, we are going to see repeal proposals. It's going to be the one we talk about for the most over the next few weeks, I think. Uh, David, uh, one of our legal experts around here, how do you see it all going down now and moving forward? Well, to have residential property taxes skyrocket was the purpose of the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment, although uh, they managed to fool enough people into thinking it would be otherwise. The the Michael Fields Colorado Rising uh, Initiative 27, which is now in the uh, signature gathering stage, would reduce the valuation for assessment rate for residential property from 7.15 to 6.5 and for other property from 29% to, I think, 26.4%. It would amount to about a billion-dollar property tax cut at a time when the state has more money than it it knows how to spend uh, and, and record 
state budgets. The sleazy end around is the Constitution talks about residential property. And the bill says, oh, residential property, that doesn't include all the property where people reside, that's only going to include a, a, a subset of it, as if they can change the Constitution by, by enacting a statute. And so it turns about a $100 billion tax cut into something about a tenth the size of that. Let's get a very quick take on this last one. While restaurants are now allowed 100% capacity with social distancing, they're still facing challenges with COVID restrictions. Smaller restaurants are finding it hard to enforce six feet distancing, and many establishments are faced with aggression when enforcing the use of masks. Uh, Marianne, your quick take on this one, we, we keep evolving into this whole opening, but well, there's still bumps. There are, but the, the good part is that we're now at the point where city and county mask mandates are disappearing faster than Joey Bunch's gumbo. <laughs> there are more than, I love that. More than a dozen counties now are at 70% vaccination rates among their adults. So let's hope that we're getting to the end of this and that businesses can return to normal operations and what's normal for them. Patty, the last bumps before normal? No, the big bump is trying to get people to work in the restaurants, and that is the major thing restaurants are facing now. David, restaurants, some are trying to recover from devastation. Some are busier than they've ever been before because they have takeout and in-person. How do we solve this? Connecticut, Mississippi, and Texas repealed all of their uh, lockdown restrictions. Months ago, people predicted catastrophe. It didn't happen. Those states are doing great. It's long past time for Colorado to follow suit. Natasha, wrap it up for us. One of the things I'm interested to see is what we do with all the outdoor spaces. We made a lot of changes in the last year. Some of them are great. Some of those patios are wonderful. Um, some of those spaces have helped those businesses stay alive. What are we going to do with them next year? Good point. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I am afraid we're going to be talking about the Tay Anderson mess for months and months and months. We learned yesterday from the DPS board that it signed a letter, everyone but Tay Anderson, that the investigation will be done maybe by the end of the summer. What is taking so long? It would seem that I know it doesn't sound like any victims have come forward to the Denver police, but still, at this point, they could maybe move a little faster because that DPS board now is completely hamstrung. David. Adam Donovan, deputy sports editor of the Boulder Daily Camera and, and other regional papers, not only for a journalistic disgrace of, of the last month, but uh, a, uh, already a finalist for Disgraceful Journalist of the Year in Colorado, wrote the story about a baseball coach at Boulder High. And during practice, one of the players had this you know, music device that was playing this harsh music with all these... Uh, ethnic and racial slurs in it. He goes over, makes them turn it off, and says, I don't want to hear language like so-and-so and so-and-so. And so one of the, the parents of one of the players complains to, the, to Boulder High School, and oh, he said these bad words, even though it was in the context of stop playing this music with all these bad words. So Donovan writes this story about baseball coach invest in, under investigation for using ethnic slurs in front of players without any of the context. He, he claims he's, he's been a reporter for 18 years. So that kind of uh, basic incompetence isn't incompetence. It's active malice. Natasha. 
I'm going to do a preemptive disgrace of the week. Um, we're already hearing about our first sort of wildfire of the season. There's an extreme fire um, danger that's been released as well. So despite all the rain we've gotten, despite how beautiful our gardens and grass looked, at least until we got this 90-degree weather, let's still remember that the western United States is very, very dry this year. Please, please, please be careful when you're in the high country. And I don't think it's going to be hard for people to remember that wildfires anywhere in the west can impact us here. I don't know how much smoke we had last year that we're... California, Wyoming, Utah, wherever. Uh, Miriam. I'm going to the ledge because that's where I've spent the last five months of my life. <laughs> uh, my disgrace is the true champion of legislative disgraces, and that's Ron Hanks. I don't, I, I, he stands above everyone else. He started it off before he was even sworn in as an elected official by getting kicked out of the House for failing to follow the rules of the chamber. Then he went to Washington, D.C., came back, missed most of the first three days of the session, allegedly due to laryngitis, but you might think that he might have picked something up in Washington, which is one of the rumors floating around here. And then mounting his own insurrection against his minority leader. If this was the military in which he had served, this guy would be in the brig. Um, I've heard from Republicans in his district throughout the entire session. They are not happy. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Hello, Larry, who passed away so instrumental in starting the program for the disabled skiers at Winter Park. A wonderful man. David. The Colorado General Assembly session, which flagrantly violated the Constitution by staying in session an extra month, is over, and the building is emptier, and this table is fuller than it's been for a long time. Here, here. Natasha. The ongoing news about the U.S. supplying more and more vaccinations around the world. This is such an important example of America's potential and our role in the international atmosphere. Great to see. Marianne. I'm going to the legislature. This will be the, for the last time here. But hats off to lawmakers who, in during that 100 and however many days session that we had in between January and May, found ways to take down the temperature a little bit. And this was a year when you really, really needed it. And I want to single out, in particular, uh, Senator Jim Smallwood of Parker and Representative Matt Gray of Broomfield, who both found ways to make everyone laugh and help us remember that they're people first and lawmakers second. And I want to say something nice about a, a wonderful friend of PBS 12 that we lost this week. Joshua Hassel uh, was a prolific and award-winning uh, arts documentary uh, filmmaker. And he has worked with PBS 12 for decades. Meeting, I, get a, I got a chance to meet him the first time in the late 90s. Uh, he died after a long illness uh, just this last week. And he not only made such a difference with his films and really taking viewers and learning new things about art from around the world. He had, he had a whole ideas from, from, from Sweden to Japan to Italy and then all around Colorado. You can see uh, many of his documentaries at pbs12.org as we celebrate his long legacy. But I think what really struck me is that you saw his face on PBS 12 all the time. He was here as a volunteer for our pledge drives, for our auctions, for special events. And you saw him throughout the arts community in Colorado. When you read his very well-written obituary from Michael Paglia, you saw how many different parts of Colorado he was able to touch. So uh, n please know that we are thinking of his family and friends and join you in celebrating his life and impact and real legacy that he left here in Colorado. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.